I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Well, it's finally here. We're at the world's most famous flower show. It's Chelsea Week. Hello, my darlings. This is the Chelsea Flower Show, and I am the drag queen gardener. When he said no Chelsea in the summer, I rather feared there wasn't going to be a Chelsea at all this year, which wouldn't seem right at all. But fortunately, it's happened. See, we're very blessed indeed. Hello, I'm Nick Grimshaw. It's my first Chelsea Flower Show. And it's been so delightful. It's been like the perfect way to start the week. It's the greatest garden show in the world. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a dream come true. To be at Chelsea on press day is absolutely wonderful. It's such a privilege to be here because this is really the art form of gardening at its best. Today's a really special day. This has never happened in autumn before. It might never happen again. And I think people can lose themselves in gardens. It calms me down so much. It's just magic. Honestly, these people are magicians. I'm Catherine Potsides, Head of Shows Development at the RHS. And I'm so excited to be back at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. And it's in September for the very first time. We're currently standing in the Great Pavilion and I'm next to an amazing stand packed full of dahlias of every colour under the sun. We've never seen dahlias like this at the Chelsea Flower Show before. Every colour, every form, popping like fireworks. It really is a riot of colour and amazing to see. Just across the way, there are some fantastic tomato plants, again, in full fruit for the season. We've got new exhibitors, Middleton Nurseries, exhibiting salvias over there, and a fantastic collection of aeoniums from WNS Lockyer, usually here with their auriculars, but something different for the season. And at this year's show, we're issuing a rallying cry. As gardeners, we can all play our part in the fight against climate change. And so we'll be exploring how later in the episode. If you think Chelsea is all about big gardens and big budgets, then think again. We're also taking in the view from balcony gardens and stocking up on some houseplant favourites for the first time ever. And presenter Arit Anderson will be spreading some joy as she tells us about her garden of hope. Let's get into it. Gardens play a vital role in protecting our planet. So this year, we've created a garden inspired by the UN's Climate Change Conference, which will be held in Glasgow this November. Our COP26 garden is a call to action. We want people everywhere to understand how growing more plants responsibly can help protect the planet, the people who live on it, and increase vital biodiversity. I'm standing in the garden now with its designer, Marie-Louise Agius. Hello, Marie-Louise. Hi, Catherine. 
Could you explain the garden to us? Where did this idea come from? The idea came from really having horticulture and gardening at the heart of what we can teach people about making a difference in terms of climate change because, of course, we are at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show and looking at some of the key issues that we face as a result of it. So we've divided the site into four quarters. We look at issues around decline, adaption, mitigation and balance. And I look forward to us taking you through each of those. That's brilliant. And so we're standing here outside the decline quarter. Uh, we've got a flooded pool, steel girders. What's going on here horticulturally? <laughs> Classic Chelsea garden. Uh, lots of RSJs and, and bits of concrete and flooded pipes. But actually what this addresses is the current status quo. So what we are looking at is a, an imagined representation of the situation that many of us find in our, in our cities and in our towns where construction and management of water isn't done well. We have a grey front garden and I know the RHS are, are big into moving away from grey front gardens. Grey front gardens are essentially paved and pointed and by pointed it means that the water can't go back into the soil, it has to run off somewhere and it causes the flooding. But it also addresses issues to do with water management. We have a perfectly mown piece of lawn with some very nice irrigation detritus all around it but actually it says to people we're wasting water. Water is one of the most precious resources that we have on this planet and we're wasting it by irrigating our lawns when we don't need to because grass is really jolly difficult to kill. And the planting in the garden as well with Leylandii and, and various other plants that are sort of low maintenance, they are not good for biodiversity, they're not good for pollinators. As we stand here, it's a sort of dead and dull feeling zone of the garden compared to all the other sectors that we will look at which are vibrant and alive and have got movement and have got insects and have got interest going on. We're standing here and it's, it's just quiet, it's sort of slightly eerie. It does seem quite dark and grey. There is a bit of light coming through the trees now, but the tree doesn't look particularly happy, crammed in between the pavers. Shall we move on to the next zone, yeah, adaptation? So we're standing next to a brighter and sunnier palette of uh, garden. It certainly looks hot. There's rocks, there's sandy soil, there's yellows, there's a lot of green and beautiful sort of drought tolerant planting, I'd say. What's this zone all about? This zone is all about adaption and it's really sort of addressing potential two to four degree temperature rise we might experience in the next 20 to 50 years and looking at some of the plants that might become more commonplace in UK gardens because they can handle those sort of conditions. So we've got a lot of what people would consider to be much drier planting as you, as, as you said. We've got facreas, we've got yuccas, we've got aloes and we've got a lot of Mediterranean planting. And we've also raised the topography up because one of the things that we want to think about in this zone is how you adapt to the crazy heat waves followed by crazy monsoon rains. So many people ask us, you know, what are we doing? We can't just put dry plants in because then when the rains come, they will rot away. So by raising the ground up and creating a sort of fast draining terrain, you can actually let that water come down and let it go away again. So in, in your average garden, that could be a raised bed. Looking at a Mediterranean palette of planting as well, plants like stachys, which have got hairy leaves, they'll capture the moisture in the morning and, and silvery leaves that will reflect the light. We've got the hippophae here. As you go continue through the garden, we look at actually how you can take principles that we show here and end up somewhere else. Let's move on then to the next zone, which I believe is all about mitigation. It is. So we start off literally with soil. We have perspex tubes of soil. We have chalk, we have clay, we have a normal typical soil profile. We have compost. But actually what it encourages people to do is to think about the soil. What is your makeup of the soil? 
So you mitigate the crazy monsoon rains. If you dig compost into your soil, it aerates it. It creates pockets of air. When the water falls, it's actually got somewhere to go. It doesn't just flood off like it does if you don't do anything to it, when it just sort of turns into concrete. And you have the yin and the yang to the grey front garden. So we have the green front garden. The green front garden has got planting in the paving. It's not pointed, it's just got sand brushed into it. We've got a wildflower meadow which is alive with pollinators because it leads into planting that's really specific for pollinators and thinking about different shapes and textures and colours, colours that bees are attracted to, blue of the caryopteris at the front of the garden is just like a magnet and it's really, it's fascinating, you know, throughout the build as soon as the plants arrived, the wildlife arrived as well. So it's, it's so uplifting if you think about sensorily the difference between when we were standing by decline at the beginning and now standing here by mitigation. It's, 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 it's worlds apart. It's bright, it's colourful, it's varied, it's wonderful to see. So we're standing now at the fourth quarter of the garden, the garden which shows balance. Tell us what we can see here. Balance is really a culmination of many of the different elements that we've looked at in the rest of the garden. And so you've got more tender plants that, again, are probably going to be quite commonplace in our gardens. We've got, got myrtle, we've got pomegranates, but we've also got vegetables, which is encouraging people to consider food miles, grow their own. And the balance in the lawn as well, we see the middle of the lawn is, is cut, absolutely cropped like it was at the beginning in the decline area, but the outside of it is left long. And that is to say to people, you, you don't have to go as extreme as you saw in adaption. You know, all these little changes add up, it's the sum of the parts. And that sort of leads us into the middle of the garden, the heart of the garden, which are the universal window boxes. Let's go and have a look at the window boxes because they are bright and colourful and really punctuate that middle of the garden. They do. I mean, we've had a wonderful opportunity to be able to use the best of sort of seasonal planting in them. So we've got rubecchias and crocosmias and dahlias. And again, though, they are absolutely alive with pollinators and alive with the sort of diversity that comes as a result of it. And what it's sort of saying is literally that you know the heart of the garden here everybody can do this you don't have to have lots of land you don't have to have lots of space to do things you just have to have a windowsill and put a window box and you can act as a little green corridor in an urban situation so where does the responsibility lie with gardeners organizations like the rhs the government everyone has a responsibility climate change is such an undeniable global situation that no one can no one could and no one should be sticking their head in the sand about it government ministers do need to legislate and i know that the rhs will work closely with them to do so but hopefully what this garden does is it inspires each and every one of us individually to know that we can make a difference not to think that we can but to know that we can make a difference that's wonderful and it certainly is an inspiring space. There's lots and lots of ideas here. There's so much to take away and like certainly like the planting choices, the way things are combined. It's really exciting to see that here at Chelsea. Chelsea is no longer purely about outdoor plants. House plants are here and they're trying to steal the show. It's amazing to see six wonderful houseplant studios full of inspiration, plants that you can incorporate into your indoor spaces, plants where you might be working, plants in your own bathroom, or plants that are just great fun in any setting. We've got a bright macrame studio hanging from the treetops. It's really exciting to see this plant group celebrated for the first time at Chelsea. Let's hear from some of them now. 
You are currently in the pharmacy of houseplants. Our little pharmacy is all about the biophilic benefits that plants can give you. So instead of lotions, potions, tonics and pills, we dispense biophilia and the plants offer repeat prescriptions without any need to go back to your GP. So it's really about how this space makes you feel. So there are many layers within the design beyond Pascal's amazing selection of the plants. We also considered lots of other things when creating this space. This is a variegated cheese plant. Um, and we have some electrodes that we've hooked up to one of the leaves. Um, and they're running into a microprocessor, which then goes into the computer, and I can program the computer to play a bunch of different instruments. Um, and the really interesting thing about it is we can touch it and see how the plant responds to touch. So I'm going to touch it now, and let's see what happens. Hi, my name's Lex Truex and I run a mushroom farm called Fat Fox Mushrooms. And we are here today doing a biosonification demonstration with pharmacy of houseplants from Edible, Bus Stop, and Patch. And when I let go... The plants aren't just the pretty face. They're doing us a lot of good. They're our friends and we can be friends back. My name is Matt Gilchrist. I'm the founder and creative director of the Edible Bus Stop, who are responsible for this installation. And to my left, we have... Hi, I'm Pascal Duval. I'm the designer for the Edible Bus Stop. So we've chosen various materials for this space very carefully. So our shelving has a coppery tone. Copper is very calming. It's a natural colour. So the walls are a very gentle green... In the window, we have lots of water-propagated cuttings, so you can see their roots, which are really quite beautiful to be able to see a plant root system like that. We have hero plants. Very on trend at the moment is the Monstera alba, the variegated cheese plant. We've got easier plants to look after as well, you know, like the Sansevierias, which we chose because they're a great starting point for people who are just getting into becoming plant owners. The excellent thing about a Sansevieria is that they are happy in light and they're happy in shade and they don't need to have a con like constant watering. They like to be underwater, so for somebody that's just starting out, it's a great place for them to start. I think after lockdown, one thing we learned is how vitally important it is to have, what well, I did, to have plants around me because I spent it on my own and they became a focus of my life to look after them and I got so excited when the begonia flowered you know, beside myself sending pictures. We know that they, through studies that they, they can speed up post-operative recovery, they can reduce blood pressure. They're very good for mental well-being and emotional support and I can personally vouch for that. They became my friends and also... I felt a great sense of accomplishment when I didn't kill them. The power of green just instantly calms you. The more you have in your homes, I feel, the, the calmer you're going to be. Myself, as a houseplant parent, I'm actually quite neglectful. <laughs> I spend a lot of time looking after plants in our shops um, and telling other people what to do and forgetting about my own. So 
<laughs> so I'm an underwaterer, but they seem to like that. They adapt. That's the good thing about, about houseplants. They're very, very adaptable. <laughs> So my name's Alice Bailey. I'm here with um, my mum and my sister and we have a houseplant shop called Forest. My top advice to anyone who's struggling to keep their plants alive is to think about where they want to put them before they buy them because quite often it won't be down to care, it will be down to your home. So for example, a tropical plant won't do well in somewhere that's got a lot of dry air, so air-conditioned offices or houses with a lot of central heating. They want somewhere that's humid, like a nice bathroom with like a slightly lower light levels. Um, so it's really worth considering your home before you buy a plant, rather than buying a plant that will look nice for a spot. <laughs> I think houseplants have really, really grown in popularity because of the fact that not all of us have gardens. And, you know, it's proven that, that looking at green can really improve your mood, help with your mental health. And also it's just nice to nurture something. I'm so glad that the RHS have decided to include houseplants in, in the show this year. I think it's been a long time coming and it'll attract a, a whole new audience who feel that this is something that they can do at home. <laughs> There is such a buzz about the site, with guests exploring many show gardens, from the small pocket balcony gardens to the large, wonderful, inspiring show gardens. But what happens to all the plants, the furnitures, the designs after the week is out? It's really important to us that gardens have lives beyond the showground, so many of the spaces are given new homes around the country. Take the RHS Garden of Hope, for instance. Created by designer and presenter Aris Anderson, and after the show, it's moving to a specialist mental health care centre for new mothers and their babies. Our roving reporter, Chris Young, spoke to Arat about the space. This particular garden, the heartstring got really pulled when I realised it was going to go to a small unit down in Dartford. It's a mother and baby unit, um, the Rosewood mother and baby unit. And the women there, you know, they are going through difficulties. They will have just given birth. And either they've presented already with mental ill health or different issues that have arisen during the pregnancy. And, you know, they're struggling. And, yeah, that must be quite daunting to be a new mum um, whilst you have your own problems to deal with. You've got this now young person that's also going to be needing your help. So I think the unit is very special. So a very uh, supportive unit. And there is a small patch of grass out there with a path where mums can walk babies around in their buggies but to be honest there wasn't really much more than that and so when I found that this garden could be really helping people after the show Chelsea is fabulous we know Chelsea is a great pinnacle in our gardening and horticultural diary it showcases you know some world-class um, design but really gardens aren't just for a moment gardens are for the long term and that was what really you know, enticed me to be able to do this garden so that I knew that people would get pleasure at the show, but actually afterwards it would be really doing its work by helping those mums. When you're designing it, Arit, do you actually design it for its end use or will it change quite a lot once it actually gets back to that mother and baby unit? Well, that was a real key point that I wanted to make sure that the garden was designed in mind for where it was going. And I think that I was lucky on in this instance that the space... Slightly different shape, but it's still rectangular, like the plot would be at Chelsea. And the dimensions are slightly bigger, actually, at Rosewood. So 
it meant that I could sit and look at both spaces, but really think about the onward space. So I said, I said, I know it's a bit cheeky, but I feel like I've got a garden that I'm designing for Rosewood that's going via Chelsea. Um, <laughs> who knew Who knew that Chelsea could be secondary to something else? Exactly. But it was a way for me on this project, by designing it and thinking of it in that way, it meant that I was really being able to take in some of the needs that were going to be required at the end of use, you know, when it goes and lives on at Rosewood, but also was able to make sure that there's going to be, you know, some features at Chelsea that won't go to Rosewood. So, for example, there's a water feature at Chelsea. It would kind of be inappropriate to have, you know, young mums with babies having water on site and and the nursing care team having to worry about that. So that's something which will be a Chelsea only. So Chelsea will get, you know, a slightly different thing. And, And the way that the main structure is being designed is that actually we again, we will slightly shift it. Rosewood. So again, it's personalised to that space, but the essence, both gardens will have the same essence to them. Lovely. What do you think the uh, mothers and the families and the nursing staff will get from the garden? What's the kind of the core element of it? Is it space? Is it tranquility? Is it nature? Or is it actually just somewhere different to be? If you could define it as kind of one element that you would hope they get from it, what would that be? Well, I really hope the key element is about nurture. But, you know, I'm conscious that these women, when they come, they have to nurture a small child as well as nurture themselves back to some level of well-being. And if the garden's able to wrap around them and support them to do that, that would be my hope that happens for them. So, you know, that the garden is designed so that there is a a meeting space so that if you want to come and socialise with other mums or with other nursing staff, but also as well, there may be just a a solitary seat on its own when the mums can have reflective Mm. time because nurturing comes in many different forms as, as what you need. It is fascinating, isn't it? And just on a, a personal level, I'm, I'm visiting my um, father-in-law a lot at the moment, and he's a, in an end-of-life hospice. And the garden there has been designed brilliantly. And actually, because of COVID, you can't go through the building. You have to walk through the garden to get to his room. And the kids, you know, have obviously been brought up with me banging on about the beauty of plants and the importance of it. They're kind of walking through, and actually, it is really important. Absolutely. And I think the other thing as well with a garden in terms of how it can nurture us is... You know, in the UK, we've got a climate which allows for us to have seasonal change. And so when you're going through difficulty, it's all about the transition of change. So if you've got an outside space where you're watching every day, if you went out to that garden every single day, there's change going on in the garden. And there's kind of, I feel, a mirroring that goes on on a subtle level and sometimes on a very obvious level about how we change. And I think that that's how gardens have helped people transition through this very difficult year. We've heard, obviously, the extra maybe three million gardeners that have come and join us, if you like, and where gardens have been really important. Outside space has been really the only space where people can meet. So that connection to understanding you know, leaves changing, flowers arriving, flowers dying back. It's kind of a mirror of the process of life. So I think that's really how gardens can help people. Even if you kind of was to go back and forth through that garden with your eyes shut, there's a sense of what's going on around you. And that's what I think we tune into. Aris Anderson in conversation with Chris Young. As greater numbers of people move into flats with balconies or small patios, the way we garden is changing and container gardening is becoming ever more popular. 
That's why at this year's show, we've created two new categories that celebrate urban green spaces. We've challenged designers to create pocket-sized gardens from the footprint of either a patio or a small balcony. So let's hear from some of them now. My name is James Smith and I'm a landscape architect and garden designer. I've designed the garden as an antidote for busy city living. So really it's the idea of coming home after a really stressful day at work. Everybody has quite hectic lives these days as well, whether it's you know rushing the kids to school or just keeping up with general workload. And I want it to be a space that you throw the doors open to when you come home and you're immersed in greenery and planting. And it's trying to connect people again with nature a little bit, even though it might be a very small balcony, just showing that there is potential to get lots of greenery and scented plants and grass as well that just entice the senses in the space. I've designed it with a green roof build-up in mind, so it is actually practical, depending on the loading that you've got for your terrace. So you need to be able to you know, engage a structural engineer early on to make sure that it will cope with that. So you'd go with a specialist substrate for the roof garden planting, and there are various ones on the market at the moment. So what you would do with this is that you would cover the whole of the terrace with the substrate, and then you'd plug plant into that. And then the planting is actually woven in between some uh, limestone stepping stones as well, just to give you that access around the garden they're quite small and so the plants will drape over the edges but the idea being that if you've got scented plants like thyme as you walk over it it crushes and releases the scent and it just adds to that whole effect of you know enjoying the garden space really i think gone are the days of looking out at balconies and them being completely blank and almost like an add-on which you're not really too worried about and i think people have actually started to realize that if you have a bit of external space, it's actually really, really important. It adds a lot of value to not only your property, but also to your life as well. And, you know, helps you enjoy that external space. And even if it's just having a, a small bench and maybe one pot with a plant in, you can go out, sit in the sunshine and have that on your face. And life just generally feels a bit better, doesn't it? Hi, my name's Sarah, Sarah Edwards. I am a garden designer and I have designed the IBC Pocket Forest in the container garden category. So the IBC containers are intermediate bulk containers used to transport liquids and paste and I decided to repurpose them as large format planters and I've screwed pots to the outside to create a green wall and a vertical ladder for wildlife to get up into the tops of the containers. Okay, so I've gone for native trees. So we've got Betula pendula, our native birch, and then we've got the hazel in the corner, and then hawthorn and rowan, so all native, so really wildlife friendly. And then underneath, I have planted it with sort of woodlandy plants. So we've got ferns like dryopteris, and then we've got grasses, got some carex, we've got hackanacloa macra, and lots of ivy. Just for a little bit of frothiness, we've got some estrancia. So having lived in Manchester for a long time, I have lived in terraced houses with concrete backyards and I always used to like to have some plants. So I've always grown things in pots when I haven't had a garden. And I also think that just because you have a small space doesn't mean you have to think small pots or small plants. So I wanted to sort of really underline and put an exclamation mark on the, on the end of it by going really large and creating a pocket forest with lots of large trees and um, show that actually you can think big in a small space. Lots of people just really have, you know, a small outdoor space, but the purpose of, of doing these was really to show that you can really transform your space 
with just a sort of very, very carefully edited collection of things to form a whole composition. Hi, I'm Martha Kremple, and the name of my garden is Arcadia. With the garden, I was trying to create a sense of real escape so that the minute you walk through the doors, the doors were like a portal. So you'd leave your old world behind and you'd walk into this new, idealised kind of fantasy world. And that's very much borne out by the backdrop, which is a painted backdrop by artist Timna Willard. And it's of, a, it's of a scene in ancient Greece, a sort of mythical scene, an idealised landscape. So because Chelsea was in autumn this year, I wanted to pick out, really celebrate the drama of autumn and get some strong colours in there. So you've got the deep purple of salvia and the pale coral of the um, totally tangerine dahlia, and that one's also called Barbary Sunset. And then there's that very tiny detail of the Rudbeckia henrielias there, um, which is so sort of sweet and dainty, but still quite punchy. My advice to anyone with a new balcony would be get your planters and, and get in some really nice big plants uh, and make sure your plant is big enough to cope with a decent root ball and for longevity and get some decent trees in there. And if you like swaying, as I do, so it be it a hammock or a swing seat, get some verticals in there which are really strong and get your cup of tea, get a beer or your bubbles and just enjoy it. Well, what a busy and exciting day. It's been so good to be back at Chelsea. The plants and the season is so different this year, but it's been brilliant to see the horticultural industry come together to create this amazing celebration of gardens and plants. It's fantastic to see greenery, to see colour, and to see new varieties for the first time ever at Chelsea. And there's a little bit of inspiration for every gardener out there. All that's left to say from me, Catherine Potts-Edes, is goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. To 
terms and conditions apply.